As I read this word this morning in preparation, I couldn't help but think of Joe because he is one of my great encouragers in sharing God's word with me. Some mornings at work, I'd get this call from Joe and say, hey, brother, I just read a, a scripture this morning, man. The Lord put me on you on my heart. And so he read that to me and just refreshed my soul. There was a, an anoint, holy anointing, as we saw, saying. And then at Freedom Fellowship, he'd come up to me and said, brother, you are the righteousness of God through Christ. Brother, you're saved by grace. And he just filled my cup. So this scripture is so appropriate. From 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For God's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Please. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And whether you're here in the room or online with us, we're glad you're here. We're going to move into a season where we're going to begin to meditate on the cross. And this is going to be a sermon series that I want to point you to. Uh, and if you want to know what it means to be here at Highland, if you want to know what it means to be a part of us, then we want you to engage in the pathway. That's those four, those five uh, icons on the side of the deal. And we're going to talk about that more and more each week. At the center of the pathway is the cross. It's the gravitas of the cross. It's the gravity of the cross. It's the thing that pulls us to the center, which pulls us closer to one another. And it, it's, it's resisted. This pull is resisted by the forces of anxiety and guilt, shame, and violence. And so what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to examine what does it mean to be a part of the Highland Church of Christ. That we believe that the worship that we engage in works against the forces of shame that draws us away from the cross. We believe that as we experience the gravity, the coming closer, as we walk closer to Jesus, who we find are the others who are also drawn to the cross, and those might be unlikely friends. And those unlikely friends create a table. We're going to realize that our baptism means so much more than the salvation of your soul. Your baptism is the inauguration by which you begin to combat the evil in this world, in yourself and outside of yourself. And we're going to examine as we move out and away from the cross, as we are sent 
We are sent to serve, to be Jesus to others. So I want you to commit to yourself. If you're new to Highland, if you're trying to figure out what Christianity is all about, if you're trying to decide if this is the right church for you, um, or you've been here for a while and you've just kind of been sitting on the fence, I want you to commit to yourself to be here for the next five weeks. And at the end of that five weeks, I'm going to give you permission. If, if you aren't convinced that this is the right place for you, if you aren't convinced that this is the mission that God has called you, then you just, you need to go somewhere else. There's a lot of great places for you to worship. It's fine if you're not a part of us. But what we want you to see is that this is what we are about. And if you are convinced that the cross actually is the center of history and time, then we want you to jump in. We want you to become a more full part of what it means to be this expression of the body of Christ here at this time, in this city, in this place. There were three kind of influences that I had this week as I was, I was preparing for this sermon. It's, it's why I chose the text, and I want to share them with you, and I want them to kind of exist in this, as kind of a framework for our sermon. The first is the retirement of Joe Almanza. I don't like to title sermons at all, but if I were to title this sermon, I would call it The Gospel According to Joe Almanza, When Kindness Puts on Flesh. The second influence was I got to attend uh, the library dinner where they honored Landon Saunders, Landon Saunders. And if you've never met that man before, you've, you've, met, you've missed a piece of the incarnate work of God through Jesus Christ. That what is embodied in his person, and it doesn't matter if it's a room of a thousand people, when you speak to him, it's like he's the only one talking to you. He's the, he's, you're the only one in the room. It was this combination of peace and joy. Joy that is difficult to articulate, but when you experience, you just you want some more of it. And the third piece that stood out to me this week was, I went to, uh, it was a, I don't know what you call it, I call it a rock opera. Um, it was called, it's called Godspell, which I'm sure many of you have seen before. It's, it's up at ACU. And I got to go on Friday night, and, and I, I don't know exactly what it was going to be about. My friend James said, well, Godspell is like hair, but with clothes. It's kind of this like early 70s rock opera, but it's centered around the gospel. It's centered around the story of Jesus. And it was powerful. It was moving. And if there's a show at two, if, if you want to go see it, you can go see it today. It's at the, the Boone Theater up on campus. Just walk in, buy a ticket. It's, it's worth it. It's worth that time. But those three images were, were revolving around my head as I began to think about what does it mean to be part of God's work of reconciliation, reconciling the world to himself. He begins by saying, well, before we begin, let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for this time together. We are grateful for this body of believers whom you've gathered and formed and made the image of your son. And Father, we hold that all of these things are because you've willed it. The air we breathe, our hearts that beat, the joy that we get to share with one another, it's all because you've willed it to be so. And so we are grateful for that moment. Father, we pray that you draw us nearer and deeper to your work. Draw us further into the kingdom of God. 
that we might look more like your son, Jesus. And to that end, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. It's together that the church says, amen. Paul begins by saying, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view, even though we once regarded Christ in this way. We can do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. And Paul is writing this in 2 Corinthians. It's part of the Corinthian correspondence. It's a series of letters that he writes to this, this struggling church. And as you read the entire corpus of that work, you get a sense of kind of what the Corinthians have been dealing with and what they're wrestling with and what Paul wants them to learn and how Paul wants them to grow. Corinth was a very difficult town to be a Christian. You might compare it to like kind of a modern Las Vegas slash New York City, right? It was a very cosmopolitan city, and it was very economically vibrant. And it was a place where uh, shipping and economics would come in, and it was a city where there was a lot of trading that would happen. And so there was a lot of sailors that came in with nothing to do. So you can imagine that there was also kind of other types of economies that, that sprawled out of that. There were a lot of temples in Corinth. And that the church seems to wrestle and struggle with how to live as Christ in the midst of that city. How to draw themselves into the kingdom of God when they have found themselves rooted in a place that is less than optimal. And they wrestle with things like favoritism. Some of them would prefer Paul over Apollos. Others would prefer Peter. And some others claimed Jesus. They wrestled with how to treat one another socioeconomically. The rich would come early to church, and they would feast in the Lord's Supper. They would drink so much they became drunk, and those that were slaves or day laborers, they would come at the end, and they would go without anything. They would be hungry. And Paul wants to work to the core of the gospel so that they can understand how to love God by loving one another. That love really truly is the greatest virtue. But that transformation can't happen without Jesus. The transformation that Paul is talking about is a transformation that happens in faith. You have to believe who Jesus is. And it's just as true in Abilene as it was true in Corinth. Jesus was a great teacher, and his words were powerful. And the parables that he taught and the wisdom that he offered made him one of the most powerful teachers in the world, but he was more than a great preacher. Uh, Jesus was a great prophet, and he spoke truth to power, who had kingdom eyes to see the work of God. But Jesus was more than just a great prophet. Jesus was a great rabbi who led his disciples to a new way of living. But Jesus was more than a rabbi. Jesus is God. And his sacrifice, the life that he gave, his sacrifice was not just for Jews, but for all. For everyone, for anyone. And Paul wants to cast that up into the heavens that, that the sacrifice was for the cosmos. And the moment of the cross was this moment when there was a, a break, a rupture in the cosmos, and God's love and kingdom began pouring through that space. And if it's true that Jesus is God, if it's true that his sacrifice is the redemption, not just of us, but of the world, then there are a few things that follow. That the transformation that we experience is a transformation towards joy, towards mercy, towards grace. 
And this changes how we understand God, and it transforms how we see each other. And I personally believe that this is something that Highland has held closely, in part because of leaders like Joe Almanza. Without a doubt, there's been an acceleration of the pace of our society and our economy. And that acceleration has left people behind. It's like one of those old school merry-go-rounds, the ones they don't allow on like modern playgrounds anymore. I found one in Abilene if you'd like to ride it for, um, you know, kind of your own, your own memory or you want to risk your life, one of the two. You know, it's, it's one of those old merry-go-rounds so they use like space-age ball bearings to achieve the fastest spin possible. And some adult with a little bit of vig or vimmer would take that thing and race it as fast as it could. You were thrown against the bars behind you, hanging on for dear life and inevitably, I have met people all over the world that have fallen off one of those merry-go-rounds and walked away with a broken arm. In fact, after first, I told that story and somebody said, that was me. I was one of those people that broke their arm. And that's the way society is right now. You're hanging on for dear life. It's going faster and faster. And there is something that is pulling you away from the center. And when you fall, it leaves you broken because you're not successful enough to climb the ladder and you're not savvy enough to navigate the system and you're not beautiful or clever enough to become one of the influencers. And so you're left behind. And the ones that get left behind are addicted or shamed or lost. And then being left behind is compounded by the fact that you're not having people around you who care for you or not having access to health care. So you end up living on the street or in a whole other host of complicating factors. And this church has been a beacon against that force because of Joe. Because Joe has led people back to Jesus, back to community back to church. Because one of the things that we believe, because this text tells us so, is that everyone gets a second chance. Everybody gets a second chance in Christ. Karl Barth was asked the question about what he would say to Hitler. Now, I know this is an extreme case, but just hang with me. Karl Barth, he's a, he's a German theologian in the early 20th century, right at the time where Nazism is rising in Europe. And he's asked the question, what would you say to Hitler? And, and the, the, the interviewer was hoping for some sort of Old Testament judgment, some sort of prophetic condemnation. And Barth answered, he hoped he would have the courage to say Romans 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not the judgment of God that brings people back. It's only the mercy of God that prompts repentance back to God. Everyone deserves a second chance. And in that second chance, we are transformed we see the world in a new way. It changes the way that we understand the, the cosmos. And that's not going to happen through some sort of degree. It doesn't happen through some sort of education. You can't get smart your way into the gospel. There's no information that you can receive. There's no degree of wokeness or activism that can get you into the kingdom of God. It is only Jesus. It is only the cross. And as we live into our baptismal vows, we become changed. We become part of the reconciliation that God is doing in the world. 
It becomes part of our person. There was a while I spent in New York. I lived there for a season. I was working with a church plant up in the Bronx. And New York is peculiar um, in a way because it is one of those places where there is a deep amount of pride about where you live. Right? New Yorkers care that they're New Yorkers. Uh, there's another places that care about that, like Texas. I mean, <laughs> everything's bigger in Texas, right? Uh, it's, it's better. Um, but New York is one of those peculiar ways, and it's different. You, you notice that. And if you're going to do a church plant to a place you've never been before, one of the things you have to figure out is listen to the people around you. Listen to the culture around you. We need to listen to our neighbors that are around us and not just assume we understand what their needs are. When you're in a place where it's very different, it's just more clear. And one of the things I noticed when I was spending my time there is that New Yorkers are not polite, but they are kind. And that's a little different than the South. The South is often polite and rarely kind. Case in point, the phrase, God bless your heart. Uh, that's not a kind statement. Um, so there are these two ways. I was figuring out how to get myself around the city, learning how to ride the subways and, and how to maneuver. And I, and I was just kind of got myself lost one day. And I went into this deli to get some lunch. And there was a long line behind me. And there was a lot of people that needed to get lunch. They needed to get in and out so they could get back to their jobs. And I didn't know what kind of sandwich I wanted. I didn't have enough money to buy anything on there. So I was trying to be careful. And I was speaking to the person up front. And they weren't understanding me well. And I wasn't understanding them well. I was taking too long for the guy behind me. He was this big guy in a three-piece suit, and he just said in my ear, would you hurry up, would you? And I'm jostled, and so I just point to a sandwich. I get it. I paid $12 for it, which was too much, and I, and I get myself out of the deli, and I'm trying to get a, a, a taxi to get back uptown, and I, I just kind of get jostled. I get, I, I get messed up. I'm all fluttered, and I drop my sandwich on a New York City street, which is like the dirtiest place in the world, and um, I go to like kind of gather everything back up and put it all back together, and there's a guy that leans down and helps me. It's the guy that told me to hurry up. He wasn't polite, but he was being kind. And he, he takes one look at me and he says, okay, where are you trying to get? Where are you trying to go? And I tell him, and he steps out into the street, which I was terrified to do, and makes a taxi stop. He gets me inside of it. He tells the, the cabbie not only where I want to go, but also how to get there so I don't have to pay too much money. And he sends me on my way. There's this thing that happens uh, in New York with, these sh with street performers. It's really cool if you don't experience it. And I, I was down there one time, and I was with uh, some friends, and we, we were watching it, and there was this, they were just kind of like doing gymnastics. They were jumping over, and they were doing flips in the air. It was really cool to watch. And they worked their way up to like kind of the big finish. They're performers. They know exactly what they're doing. And they've got like eight audience members standing in the row, and the guy at the end of the line is holding up a hula hoop. And one of these guys is going to jump over all eight of those guys through the hula hoop and land on his feet. It was going to be amazing. And I couldn't wait to see that moment, but they knew exactly what to do because that's the moment that they stopped the show and then began asking for money because they need to eat too, right? And so, so they just ask for donations and they are, they're funny about it. There's all sorts of good ways that they do it. And then they get to the last person that's willing to do the last donation and they ask that person, where are you from? Now, pride of living in New York City is not the fact that they live in the state of New York or even in the city of New York. It's in the neighborhood that they live in. And so the person proudly said, I'm from Brooklyn. And do you know what happened immediately after that? And they, they took the money and they said, the last donation was from Brooklyn. Do you know what happened after that? 
like 10 more hands shot up with money in their hand to donate. And they asked the last person, well, where are you from? And it was a lady, and she said, I'm from Queens. And then more hands shot up. The last one was really funny because that last time, the, the, the person said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Long Island. And then like hundreds of hands went up. Nobody was going to let Long Island be the last word in that experience. <laughs> and then they did the trick and they went on their way. And something happened while I was there in that season. It's tough to explain. But this is how I know the change occurred. My understanding of who I was in that city shifted. So at the end of that season, when it was time for me to go home, some of my friends came up and we did the tourist stuff that I hadn't been able to do the rest of the time. And sure enough, there was another street performance. And at the end, with a $10 bill in my hand, I said proudly, I'm from the Bronx. Everyone gets a second chance. The transformation that you're invited into is the transformation of the kingdom. It's important to notice that God has not reconciled himself to the world, but rather he has reconciled the world to himself. And that means that God does not change. God is the one with whom there is no shadow of turning. And precisely because God is beyond alteration, he can radically transfigure this sin-wrecked world. He does so, among many other ways, by the means of Christ's atoning death. And we miss the, the purpose of the word reconciliation that Paul uses there. Because a lot of times we think what that means is, is um, forgiveness. Or we think it means conflict management. But reconciliation is actually an accounting term. There is one set of books that need to be reconciled so they balance the sheet with the other side. This is what Jesus does through the cross. And because Jesus has done that, we don't look for the end times. They are already here. The kingdom of God is already in our midst, eagerly yearning for its completion. And so thus, it's not quite right to speak of an existence of a life after death. As N.T. Wright observes in his book, Simply Christian, Christians are those who are already living a life after death since Christ has raised us from the grave. And this again echoes the story of Joe Amanza, who thought his life should have ended much earlier and was given a second chance to live into the fullness of the kingdom of God. We ought to more properly speak of the world to come as life after life after death. And because of this transformation, we are ambassadors. We carry the message of the king we speak on behalf of the king and make decisions on royal gesture. And if this is true, if this is who we are, if this is who we're called to be, that this is what God is creating in God's church, then the evangelical church in America has done a terrible job of being ambassadors because we are more apt to alienate the stranger and the victim. We are more apt to sell our souls to align ourselves with political power for tepid gains. We're more apt to sow division and discord and split the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is not concerned with family values or who is in office. It is wholly concentrated on new creation. What God is interested in this world is to create new things, to widen that split that the cross created and to allow more love to flow into this world. 
The only other place that Paul uses this term, new creation, is in Galatians 6.1, where he says, a new creation is everything. So where is this new creation? This week in the news, we saw children being shot for ringing the wrong doorbell. Children being shot for turning into the wrong driveway. A six-year-old girl and her parents being shot for throwing a ball into the wrong yard. May God forgive our sin and heal our land. But if we experience transformation, then we are given new vision. All of this happens, Paul suggests, if anyone is in Christ. It's like the rupture of the bridge that exists between God's kingdom and this reality is not split in one spot, but is decorated with a star of holes, holes of stars. But that rupture happens anywhere anyone is in Christ. And there are tons of anyone's here in this place. Tons of anyone's. Anyone who trusts God despite circumstances that don't look good. Anyone who longs to see kingdom come and will be done. Anyone who hungers and thirsts for justice. Anyone who grieves the loss of loved ones yet still holds on to hope. Anyone who, who desperately loves the least of these. Anyone who welcomes the stranger. Anyone who gives a cup of cold water. Anyone who visits the prisoner in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, new creation really isn't that hard to see, is it? And so I wonder, how can you be in anyone? How can you be part of the reconciliation that God is bringing to earth? May we have the courage and the joy and the perseverance to be anyone in this city. Would you please stand for our benediction? Our prayer team is coming forward. They're going to be available for you at the end of the day. May you this week see Jesus. May you see Jesus transform lives. And may the transformation that happens to you, to your soul, may it lead you to joy and peace. May you be filled with God's spirit and go with love.